0: Let us go back uh, 2,000 years this morning to the darkest moment in human history. Jesus Christ, perfectly God, perfectly man, has now been hanging on the cross for six hours. Completely innocent, not guilty of any sin, Christ was now being put through the most horrible punishment and agony At the hands of the very people that he came to save. A few of his followers were present mourning his death, but the vast majority of the crowd that was there, and there likely would have been hundreds or more, were all mocking him shamelessly. Our Lord and Savior was now nailed to the cross, suffering in the most brutal way for our sake. You see, Jesus Christ was fulfilling the very purpose for which he came exactly as was prophesied for centuries before. God's son, Christ, who existed before the foundation of the world, had determined out of his great, immense love for us and by the perfect plan of his father to die upon the cross in our place. Nothing here happened by chance. And so we're going to walk through this morning, walk through the crucifixion account in Matthew chapter 20, 27, verses 46 to 54, And we're going to spend some time understanding, but also remembering what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. And so let's look at verse 46. It tells us that at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ in his final moments was directly quoting Psalm 22 which was written a thousand years before his crucifixion. You see, Christ intimately knew the scriptures because he himself is the author of the scriptures, the very Bible that we hold in our hands. Psalm 22 was known as the messianic psalm of lament and dejection. And it actually foreshadowed this moment upon the cross. The psalm, it speaks of the one who walked in perfect fellowship with the Father. It speaks of Christ, who now had to cry out because of the sense of abandonment upon that cross as he took the unimaginable weight of our sins placed upon his shoulders. And in those moments as evil men were allowed to torture and belittle Jesus, our Lord, he expressed a feeling of separation from the perfect fellowship that he had had with the Father. And it was at this time, that we remember 2 Corinthians 5.21, which says God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Even while experiencing the agony of the cross, Jesus was teaching the crowds and proving yet again that he indeed was the Messiah, the Savior, fulfilling all of the scriptures in this dark hour. Elizabeth Browning, who's a uh, famous poet from the Victorian era, she beautifully penned the importance of this moment. She said this, Yea, once Emmanuel's orphaned cry, his his universe hath shaken. It went up single, echoless, my God, I am forsaken. It went up from the Holy's lips amid his lost creation, that of the lost no son should use these words of desolation. And so he took our place. Now, verse 47 to 49 goes on to say this. Some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Now, again, going back to the scriptures in the Old Testament, according to Malachi chapter four, the Jewish people, God's chosen nation, They believed that at the very end of time, the prophet Elijah would return with the Messiah. You see, Elijah had always represented the prophets throughout the scriptures in the same way that Moses had represented God's law. And they were waiting to see if Elijah would appear if Jesus was indeed the Messiah that he claimed to be. But but here's the irony in this. The people that claimed to know the scriptures were blind to what was happening before them. They did not understand that Jesus Christ would come to this earth twice. Christ would first come as the suffering servant before he returns again as judge and conquering king. And so if you look at Psalm 69, which was also written a thousand years prior, it was prophesied that the Messiah was to be offered sour wine upon the cross exactly as was happening at this moment. And so again, Jesus is fulfilling all the scriptures perfectly, and in this moment, he had come to suffer upon the cross as the perfect lamb and sacrifice for sin. And then we see something truly unbelievable in the account of the crucifixion. Verse 50 says this, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. You see, it was Jesus himself who chose to yield up his spirit, to die upon that cross. He himself chose to give up his life. If you recall the words of John chapter 10, verses 17 to 18, Jesus earlier said this to his disciples. For this reason, the father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. And so you see, it was Christ's conscious decision to yield up his own spirit upon the cross on that awful day. And despite what the people around him were doing, he himself, he himself was the one who chose to die for us upon that cross because he had the authority to do so. He gave up his own life. And then we see in verse 51, Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, And the earth shook and the rocks were split. To truly understand the monumental significance and impact of this event, uh, we need to understand this from the perspective of a first century Jew and the people who are at the foot of the cross. The book of Revelation tells us that the angels fly around God's throne and are constantly saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God, the creator of the universe, is sinless, absolutely perfect, holy, set apart unlike any other. And God was so holy that in the Old Testament law, it commanded that there was a temple that was built for the Lord and that there would be an area in this temple set apart. This area was covered by a thick veil. And the veil separated what was called the Holy of Holies, which was the earthly dwelling place of God's presence, which was separate from the rest of the temple. This signified that God was separate from sinful man. And only one special person, once a year, was able to enter into this Holy of Holies, and that was someone who was called the High Priest. Now, the High Priest would enter past the veil into God's presence on behalf of God's people, primarily to make atonement for their sins. But no number of bulls, no number of sacrifices could ever fully atone for man's sin until Christ's death upon the cross. And so Jesus' death marked that moment where the all-sufficient, everlasting atonement for sin was made. Jesus opened up access to God as our perfect high priest forever, And since his sacrifice, you and I and anyone who trusts in him can pray directly to God and have full assurance that God, our Father, hears our prayers through Jesus Christ. No longer is there a Levitical priest needed to enter into the holy of holies on our behalf. And Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 to 20 says this. Now, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us, through the curtain that is through his flesh. And then lastly, we see two final points. Verses 52 to 53 say, the tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. We're gonna hear much more about the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ on Sunday because the story does not end today. But simply know this, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ triggered the resurrection of the saints. And so Christ's sacrifice on the cross provided and continues to provide eternal life to those who have trusted in him. But lastly, let's look at verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and they said, truly, this was the Son of God. So when the centurion, when those around him, when they saw the earth shook, when they saw the earthquake, when they, when they saw that the veil was torn, suddenly they recognized the monumental impact of what had just happened. The centurion recognized that it was not just the death of another man, but it was far greater. It was the death of the Son of God. And after all that had happened, the centurion and those around him say, truly this was the Son of God. Meaning, truly, Jesus is who he said he was. Truly, he was the exact fulfillment of the scriptures. Truly, he was God incarnate. Truly, he was God, he is the Christ. And they were filled with awe. And again, they said, truly, this was the Son of God. And so what's the significance of everything that we've seen today? Everything that we've heard and sung about today? Well, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior, then today, remember that the access that we now have to God came at the greatest cost. Today is a somber day for us. It's a day to remember what Christ endured for us, how he was stripped down, had a scarlet robe, had a twisted crown of thorns put on him, how he was mocked, spat on, struck on his head, how he cried out to his father feeling forsaken and yet yielded up his spirit, his body for us. And how, through all of this, we remember God's immense love for us. The righteousness of Christ was imputed unto us, which means that Christ, by taking our place upon that cross, we now live in remembrance of that, but by Christ's death upon the cross, we remember that we have reconciliation with God forever, now, and forever for all eternity. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you haven't made that profession of faith, then I want you to understand this. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23 in Scripture, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that means there is not one, not one of us, none of us, who have not transgressed or broken God's law. In the Old Testament, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to help us know what sin was. And all of us have fallen short at some point or another of those in our hearts or, or outwardly as well. All have sinned. But the Bible in Romans six twenty-three goes on to say, The wages of sin is death. And so that means that when we sin against a holy and eternal God, the punishment for our sins is an eternity under his wrath. And so you and I, we cannot erase the sins that we've committed in our past, in our present, or in our future, and we can't make up for them in any way. Our hands are forever stained with every single sin we've committed for eternity without Jesus Christ. And so the reason that the gospel of Jesus Christ and which you've heard today is good news is this. Romans 6.23 goes on to say this. For the wages of sin is death, yes, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so you can have eternal life with God by accepting that free gift which he alone offers, by repenting of your sins, by trusting in Jesus' sacrifice, what he did upon the cross. Jesus broke the bonds of sin and death And his blood was spilled for you, for us upon that cross. And so today I pray that you would see and understand why you need a savior. Why every human being needs to personally receive Jesus Christ's free gift of eternal life. And the cross reminds us, like Romans 5, 8 says, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so very simply put, he lived the perfect life that you and I should have lived, and he died the terrible death that you and I deserve upon that cross so that now we can have eternal life with God. And this is God's great love for us, and now you can see why the reminder of the death of our Savior is called Good Friday. It's the most, this is the most pivotal day in the history of the world. The Son of God crucified upon the cross to pay the ultimate sacrifice for sin out of his great love for us and his Father's perfect plan. D.A. Carson, who is a Christian theologian and commentator, he says this. He says, it was not nails that held Jesus to that wretched cross. It was his unqualified resolution out of love for his father to do his father's will. And it was his love for sinners like you and me. And you see, it is a good day because he traded places for you and for me. This is why we can call it a good day.